0: Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this weekend, we're talking about good old games. Not GOG, not good old games TM, but games that, you know, when we go back, we revisit our cherished titles from the past, they don't actually disappoint us. So Rob, I know you've been going back into the old, beloved uh, treasure chest of, of some of your, your your favorite games, and you've been like, hey, you know what? This actually plays really well.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think with a lot of older games, particularly the, those from like the nineties, right? Yeah,
0: and
1: I don't know. It's, it's like the opposite of rose-colored glasses, where it's like you just expect something to be dated. It's like jank-colored and
0: glasses for games, like janky, yeah, jank vision.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're like adding more compression than that was actually there. <laughs> Uh, you know the you're remembering a much like clunkier interface with bigger buttons than 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 you actually had, uh, and so this week, uh, for for some work related reasons, I've been going back and and playing a little bit of Alpha Centauri.
0: Oh, nice!
1: And that's the um the sci-fi civilization game, basically on the heels of Civilization II, uh, Firaxis made Alpha Centauri, and. It was and is one of my favorite games of all time, but this is the first I've been back to it in about like eh, probably like five years. Oh, nice, four or five years, and so going back to it, I was thinking like, oh man, like I'll bet you this, I'll bet you this doesn't hold up anymore, you know. But <laughs> it like I know it has this 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 massive like place in my heart, like I'm very emotionally attached to the game, but I'm sure this is not something I you know i would I would still play that much today, and I fired it up and immediately like sort of lost myself to multiple like you know hour hour and a half sessions um as I started playing this thing, which is hard for me to do at this point in my life, but I was just really taken aback by how well it did work, yeah, and how few allowances I did have to make for when it was made like this doesn't happen that often like a few years ago I went back and I played the original Mm XCOM and I found that incredibly difficult to play now admittedly that's a much older game significantly older uh than than Alpha Centauri uh particularly the technological changes that happened between those two games but you know it's it's kind of a telling comparison uh for me where XCOM is this game that is remembered uh very very fondly and has a reputation for being kind of evergreen. You go back and play it, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that really like get between you and that experience. Alb Centauri, I was just I was surprised like how instantly like readable and playable it was. That's really, really good to hear.
0: So so did you have any specific like Kind of great experience, like oh, I yeah, this is what I this is what this game <laughs> is, you know. Is it like you know you were playing and it was familiar, and then you're like oh yes, and then this happened, and this happened, and oh yeah, that's that Alpha Centauri that I remember. Uh,
1: yeah, I had sort of the quintessential run <laughs> in my first game. I talked a little bit about this on on Twitter during the week. Um, so there's there's probably one really infamous character. In Alpha Centauri, and that's Sister Miriam Godwinson, uh, which I mean, okay, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> sure. uh, Godwinson Godwinson is the head of the religious uh, zealot faction, mm. and she's sort of renowned for being an aggressive, like basically terrorist. Like sure. her, her people like immediately land on Alpha Centauri, and Basically create, like, a mega church that kills people. Gotcha. Is, is kind of how they roll. Um, but what was hilarious is I'm playing this game, and it's the first game I've played in years. And I've got a few cities down, and I've got this one city on the coast. And out of the blue, a warship and a transport from Sister Miriam appear off the coast. Oh. And the comlink opens. And she's immediately like... Hey, it's good to see you. Give me this technology, or I'm going to exterminate
0: you. <laughs> mm. And I
1: was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to do it. I mean,
0: it. That, that sounds like a a few of the folks I've I've met in my life who who maybe were, <laughs> oh. were sisters who were my teachers. So I I get that. I get it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, for sure. And uh, so I'm like, no, go, go to hell. And sometimes they'll be, th- those will just be bluffs. Like, they won't actually want to fight the war. No, she immediately <laughs> declares war, lands an entire army off that transport next to my city, and uh, I think captures it on the same turn because it's already been like defending against um, native mind worms the previous turn. But anyway, oh, so th- literally the first thing that happens is Sister Miriam shows up, tries to extort me, and then captures one of my cities and then we're basically in a blood feud oh. and end up like waging just bloody war for years and i've got the the technology but she's got the numbers um God. and i was like yeah this is uh this is exactly the game i remember like it is there are certain characters in this game that are just not going to let you live in peace. And it feels so much more aggressive than, a lo- than in a lot of, like, of your more recent Civ games. Like, Sister Miriam hates you. <laughs> like, I think she actually hates me. Like, she is a real character, in a way. Wow. And so, having that happen, just, like, seeing the game express itself so purely in one session was really nice.
0: God, that's beautiful. And I know you've also been playing uh, The Last Express but you've you've gone back to that one in the in the years since. Is, oh is
1: right? yeah, I mean yeah. that one, that one I know by heart. Gotcha. Like that, like <laughs> I don't. There's there's nothing that surprises me anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, going back and playing it, I'm like, oh, maybe the resolution is a little lower than I thought. But no, I, that one that's a game that like I pretty much know even the incidental conversations like almost word for word uh, at this point, which is a, a little a little spooky uh, get, like that that is brain real estate that can be used for other stuff but i don't know i'm i'm curious about like i'm i'm curious about you because like you know a few weeks ago we were talking about you went back and you played through like the rare replay collection really? yeah. um and i know that like we all have our games that we return to a lot like it's meant to, like you know the witcher comes up on the show like literally every week <laughs> but i am curious like if you've ever had that experience where you've realized that you actually didn't give a beloved game enough credit in your in your memory in your mind's eye.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of something specific for oh, I didn't give it enough credit because I do tend to be a pretty ridiculously, you know, overenthusiastic person. When I really love something, everybody within the, you know, a 5-mile radius knows about it. Um
1: I'm going to be on my deathbed and you're going to be like <laughs> Here's a copy of Donkey Kong Country <laughs> Tropical Freeze. You really need to get this in under the wire.
0: <laughs> I'll put the controller in your hand. You know, you'll have your, Here, just, your breathing just to play stuff, it for you. I'll be like, don't worry. Here you go. <laughs> I'll, like, put your th- my hands over your thumbs and, like, play it. You know, I hey... We have to share our joy in this life, Rob.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: well, I did recently. This is this is relevant to this. I also for for you know maybe maybe I had to do something to do with work. Uh, I recently played Brutal Legend, uh, not the whole thing, but a whole bunch of it through again. And holy shit, I haven't touched that game actually since it first came out. Um, so you know, two thousand eight, I think. We can we can take a look at that Br- Brutal Legend. I think it was two thousand eight. Um,
1: I had just moved to Boston, so it was like 08 or 09.
0: Yeah. You know what? It was 09, because I was living I was living in Boston. I was working at uh, the ACLU, I think, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. October 13th, 2009. So this game is...
1: The first Rocktober.
0: Yeah, Rocktober. This game is eight years old. I haven't touched it in eight years. And I know I have really, really fond memories of it. I know I I loved it at the time. I still think it's like the best Halloween game ever, even though Double Fine around the same time, I think only a year later, actually made a Halloween game. They made Costume Quest. I still even think this is like the better, like this is the ultimate Halloween game for me. It's all about dress up and make believe mm. and, you know, being awesome and being, like, maybe a little adolescent in some ways, but embracing it and not not being like, yeah, whatever, man. Um, this was kind of the last really high-budget game that that uh, Double Fine made, too, right? With like
1: This is the last time people were going to entrust Tim Schafer with, like, large amounts <laughs> that of capital. That kind
0: of budget. Well, because this was, like, a third-person action game. This was a an Activision game, I think, even. Um, yeah.
1: No, no, no! It was it was EA, right? Because this is it's part of Ricciello's like endearingly like um, quixotic venture to rebrand EA. Oh, you're totally right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A mega
1: publisher with an art house sensibility, which I actually like to this day really admire. Hell yeah! And wish
0: there's like Mirror's Edge and Dead Space, like that run of games that were like, hey, these are kind of interesting and a little different from you know the the huge basically.
1: Yeah, but like I mean, Brutal Legend had this reputation as like a failure. Now Tom Chick loved it. We we did a Three Moves Ahead. This is pre, pre before my time on Three Moves Ahead, yeah. but like Tom Chick like loved that game. But I think most people regarded it as a bit of a um you know a bit of a, a bit of a failure. I, I I'm really curious like what like what resonates with you now coming back to it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I'm not even like a metal fan, but this game. Honestly, it could have been about kind of anything. It just has so much genuine love and affection for its subject matter. Like, really, really genuine. So it's about, you know, this guy, Eddie Riggs, who's a roadie. He's a heavy metal roadie. Uh, and, And he goes back to In Time because of a magical thing to the land of, God, what is it called? The Age of Metal or some ridiculous thing. And, like, everything in this world. It's an open world. It's like an open world action game that has RTS boss battles, which is... Bananas and wonderful, uh, but you everything in this world is basically like a heavy metal album cover. Like everything, just immense mountains with guitars and like ridiculous well, volcanoes is- that Ozzy Osbourne lives in and helps you soup out your car and like just it's so fucking ridiculous. But it goes in hundred and ten percent, completely earnest. It has these amazing performances from uh, Jack Black is the main character. Ozzy's in it, like. Tim Curry is this like SM f- fetish dude, oh, demon guy, you know, main big bad boss guy. Like it's, oh God, it's so wonderful. I didn't know wonderful. Tim
1: Curry was in that. Oh man, this I do need to play oh, this. Oh, it's so,
0: it's so good. It is a little janky. Like, like, I remember it being a little janky at the time, you know, like the, Double Fine has always been sort of famous for really, you know, like beautiful and imaginative and even kind of funny games, but. You know, maybe a little, a little rough around the edges sometimes. Psychonauts is definitely a little rough around the edges. It's my favorite game ever, but it's you know I can acknowledge that like yeah, there's some there's some weird hitboxes <laughs> in that game, things like that. And this definitely has a little bit of that as well. Uh, but it's also just so ambitious. Like it's so amazing that it's uh, this beautiful open world action game where you can drive around everywhere. And do kind of the the usual open world stuff of you know there's a quest here there's a quest there whatever, uh, all in this sort of incredible very unique art style and 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 uh, setting, but also it's all of these things and an RTS, <laughs> like with all the units being things that are that are sort of uh, co opted from from the world of bands and stages and heavy metal like. Oh, you know, you got your headbanger guys, and they are the are the sort of infantry, right? You've got your like razor girls with their pointy guitars, and they're kind of like a more specialized infantry, right? <laughs> there, there are the right. I forget what the the unit is called, but there's like the other roadie guys, and they set up they set up equipment sneakily. Basically, they're like setting bombs behind enemy lines, but it's of course they're like sneaky guys in leather jackets that are setting off giant speaker shaped bombs. Like, it's just amazing. Um, I God, I love this game so, so much. It, it has the kind of vision and the kind of you, like I said earlier, love for its subject matter behind it that is just infectious. Even if it's not, I don't, this could have been I don't know, a game about sailing and the world of sailing. You know, whatever. I Something I, I, I don't necessarily have familiarity with but because it was done with this kind of, of humor and love, it's, it's Oh, I could recommend it to anyone as as long as you can like kind of go in. Just just know that it. Yeah, it has a little bit of roughness around the edges, but no, nothing more than I would I would kind of be ready for for a game from this era, you know, and also like I don't I don't care. I don't give up the first <laughs> shit that it's a little rough around the edges. It has so, so much to recommend to it.
1: So I'm curious, like what what caught you by surprise here? Like in your memory, had it become a little bit? Um, it, it sort of sounds to me like confronted with all the things that are happening in that game, yeah. Like all the complexity and the size and scope of the world and the ambition. Like, is it just larger than your memory is of it? Like, is it a larger presence uh, than than you remembered?
0: You know what it, what it is is sort of the pacing. I I always remembered it being kind of always fun and never really a downer, but playing it again and actually kind of going through the first couple hours again, it's like one cool thing to the next and never a letdown. I mean, any, any sort of quieter moments are wonderful and great. Like when you're first kind of driving around in your car or doing that sort of thing. So there's like a, God, within the first 15 minutes, there's like a weird boss fight. There's driving as, you know, a bridge is falling down. There's Melee combat, there's a whole lot of jokes, there's Tim Curry, there's, you know, Eddie Riggs, there's Jack Black, there's all of this stuff happening, and it's just boom, 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 like no filler, like completely just really, really fun the whole way through. And even the stuff that's a little more ponderous, like learning how to command, you know, your units, because it's it's teaching you in the first couple of hours how to start commanding units and how to start thinking strategically about problems... It's it's still really fun and compelling and really works and there's really really funny moments even in like tutorial stuff like there's there's a point where you when you're sort of freeing the the very first of your your foot soldiers the headbangers they're these dudes that have like massive necks because of course they got they gotta do headbanging all day. Um, <laughs> The thing you give them to do is to like smash the statues of the glam rock guy who was- y- enslaving them before like it's It's wow. just adorable in how like oh, that's perfect
1: <laughs> i um you know I think something else about going back to sort of these landmark games or cult classics years and years later is you is maybe you do appreciate how singular yeah. they are in some ways or how how it, how much of a different way of approaching like making a game they now represent yeah. like you get so used to like so many things now behave according to certain conventions and this is true across like most most genres a lot of things tend to converge on control conventions genre conventions like you know there 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 are still a lot of games that mix and match like influences, but it's just little things, right? Like how like there aren't a lot there never were, but there certainly aren't now. A lot of people making action like third person action RTS games, <laughs> yeah. right? Like with open, it's world like Brutal Legend, like, yes. it's Sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know what 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 else is is really beyond that too much. With, with Alpha Centauri you know it's it's using this really like windows 3.1 era interface uh kind of thing like lots of toolbars that pop up on the right click uh lots of hotkeys like really this is this is something meant for like you you can sort of like like fudge your way through it by right clicking and just looking at the contextual menus um but really it's a game that's meant that's really asking you to learn all the hotkeys right <laughs> like it's it's not going to help you out with all that and a lot of units can do an absolute like ton of things particularly these un- these units called the for- the formers which are basically your um your workers in civ but they can like do terraform like honestly got terraforming and like Whoa. geoengineering in this game like you can drill to an aquifer on a hillside and create a new river um they do all sorts of stuff like this. But playing it now, I'm like, it's not a bad interface at all. Nobody makes a game like this anymore because this sort of interface has become regarded as, like, really, like, clunky and old-fashioned. It's not at all streamlined. Mm. But it's perfectly functional. And it's, you know what I mean? It's, like it's It didn't become outmoded, I don't think, in a lot of ways. It's just, it's not as inviting and user-friendly as, as things are now. It 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 doesn't it doesn't adhere to a whole bunch of conventions just to strip down the interface to a few key buttons that you're supposed to like already intuitively understand like where they are and what they're supposed to do i think that's kind of i think that's another aspect of this which is that it's easy to conflate like the way a game was different with the way a game was is different from from what has come since, uh, with it being old fashioned in some way. And sometimes that's just that's not exactly true.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I'm trying to think it back to to like er, way earlier games, and I definitely when I played some of the um, NES classic games, <laughs> I was playing some of them for the first time. But I was also uh, definitely reintroduced to, let's see, I I remember really, really getting into uh, like the first Castlevania, which I I didn't play much of as a little kid, but I remember just sort of very, very vaguely uh, picking up the controller in the first Contra. I played all of that with my cousin at one point, you know, in the actual 80s, you know, the late 80s and co-op playing that whole thing co-op and being like, holy shit. This, this is a great game, and also, holy shit, this is hard, but that's, you know, kind of another story for another day. But it's it's so wild to go back to things, um, and if you're going back that far, to things that are just sort of half-remembered, or, or just vaguely, barely, you know, your child brain picks out some some aspect of something, something about the way it looks, or something about the way it sounds or feels to play, and it being just this incredible, weird kind of moment. Actually, here's an even better example. Uh, I also recently played the Disney Afternoon Collection, which are a collection of NES games. Uh, The the really amazingly good and hold up very well, uh, actually, Capcom NES games from the, it's like DuckTales, DuckTales 2, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, and that sequel, and uh, Tailspin, and there's one other in there. Yeah, Darkwing Duck, that's what it is. And... DuckTales is a game I played so much of as a little little kid and playing again I was sort of like holy shit this is a great platformer it holds up so well it's really beautiful it has this incredible level design that's you know fairly simple certainly but really layered and with a lot of secrets and a lot of you know the kind of stuff that I really love in a platformer like oh yeah of course if you if you dig around a little bit if you mess around a little bit if you kind of try to find those secret rooms you're always rewarded for that. And it was really amazing and sort of <laughs> affirming to go back and play some of those and be like, hey, you know what? Five-year-old Danielle had great taste, actually. She was a smart young lady who knew what was good and would continue to know what was good for a long time.
1: Rode that new management position. You
0: know, I really did. I, I could see That's it Danielle, then. she knows what's good. <laughs> yeah, at five, I was like, one day there'll be a website named Waypoint. I'll be the managing editor. Also the little
1: merchant. There'll be paperwork all day long.
0: (laughs) That's what I dreamed of as a young child, you know?
1: What about a whole what about if there was a job where you just spend the whole day wishing you could play video games, (laughs) but instead have to do
0: invoices. (laughs) Oh, my job's more awesome than that. I I have to give my cool job credit. But yeah, you know, sometimes you get a little bit of that itch. You know, you see the cool games, and and you know, sometimes the, your coworkers from other parts of the, you know, different parts of the company who who also write about entertainment for a large part, and they're like, "You guys have the best job," and it's always like, I, you know, I agree, but I, you're only seeing the cool part, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. One other thing, like, and I don't want to get too far into it because I, I do want to revisit this topic at some point, like. We, uh, remember when we went back and played System Shock?
0: Oh, God. Like,
1: OG System Shock last year, like, prepping for the show, and I don't think we ever ran that.
0: I don't think we did either.
1: Because it was such a different vision for what, uh, like, this show could be, and I don't think we quite nailed it, but, uh, I I do want to take another stab at that topic, but the thing that really surprised me there is, like, System Shock is old as hell. Yeah. Like.
0: 1994, I think.
1: Might even be three. Holy shit. It's an old ass game. Yeah. And it feels like, like, it, it, it's behaving according to, according to, like, no design conventions that you're familiar with. Right? Like, there's all sorts of weird movement commands. Um, yeah. Like, it's basically trying to imagine the body in the space of the game. And I think you control, like, with your number pad or, like, page up and down. Like, there's, there's so many different, like, height and stance, like, settings you can have in that game. It's just... It's utterly absurd. But the other thing is that the... Le- not even, it doesn't feel like the levels. It feels like you're on an honest-to-God space station. Yeah. In a way that, like, a lot of modern games do not. And this is the weird thing. Because, like things were so much more primitive then and like you could just like probably like i'm 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 imagining i i i was not a game developer in the 90s <laughs> sure. i was a child but i'm sure somebody can speak to this a little more um a little more eloquently but because like the fidelity is so low you can just kind of slap textures down yeah. right for for mile after mile to create like your space the space station you don't have to like handcraft everything quite so much right And playing System Shock with you, like, last year, what stunned me was, like, oh, this experience hasn't been really replicated, and therefore it hasn't really been surpassed. Like, they basically, like, imagined an entire space station. And then a whole lot of game mechanics that you would, like, find useful in in that cyberpunk space station. Including utterly crazy, like on-rail 3D shooter stuff in, in, in cyberspace. like
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's,
1: it's, it's nuttiness all the way down, but it was really kind of humbling to go back and play a game like that and realize, like, oh, there's some trade-offs that we've made that have taken a game like this further and further away from us. Yeah. Like, the space station's never going to be as big as it is in this game, right? It's never going to be as complicated or, like, interlinked as it is in this game.
0: God. And also, there's something to be said about more primitive graphics evoking rather than than showing. A little bit of that show don't tell kind of... Uh... Well, maybe show don't tell isn't the right way to say this, but there's something I really appreciate about crappy old textures that just kind of... Mm-hmm. It gave you the idea of the thing without it just being like, "Wow, look at look at this
1: beautiful structure." Yes,
0: you know what I mean. Like it, it there's what something the, wonderful and evocative about that, and I, I
1: love what it. Was and that I'm having like a
0: hard time putting
1: cyborg story. assassin thing? Yeah, in uh in System Shock, like that is just you're right. That is just the suggestion of a thing. It's a shitty little sprite. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and that thing scared the ever living hell out of me because it was kind of this weird, shapeless, like malevolent force that you could like project a lot onto like when you show me a picture of it it's nothing in my head it's this terrifyingly like delicate live killer robot
0: yeah yeah i've I've been playing this isn't exactly that but i've been playing a, a modern game that that actually evokes a little of that called strafe which is a first person shooter that's made to look like it was Made in the early 90s and with those crappy, terrible textures, and I love it so much. <laughs> Bad textures, they're great. You know, maybe that's why I like N64 it's done so well. much. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's an interesting thing. Because, um, like, I play. So, <sighs> that kind of art is tougher to do than it appears, right? Oh, like, yeah. it works in System Shock. But like I played a game last year and I liked this game by the way. I played a game uh Bunker Punks, uh mm. which is also like kind of an old school shooter thing, uh shooter roguelike. But there I didn't find the creatures all that like evocative or or engaging. It was just like, okay, yeah, this is a you know, it's it's going for that old school, like pixelated look. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing, like finding that sweet spot. Where the limitations of the medium actually start working to your benefit, yeah. Versus you're just kind of artificially like embracing something archaic, right? Yeah, you're like just it's aping it's something. sort of nostalgic catch.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I agree. It, it takes like a real dedication to art direction, and like it's, somebody has to really know what they're doing to make that look good. But when it is done well, it is so beautiful, and I prefer it honestly to really. You know what? What other folks might call like you know more photorealistic or more more beautiful or more ambitious or or whatever types of looks and feels.
1: Man, talking about System Shock has made me really keen to just buy Prey tonight.
0: Oh, I think you should. Should I, should
1: I buy Prey? Is yes. that is that a Rob game?
0: You should. I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Even though okay. I'm I'm a little spoiled by the <laughs> by, by the, lack the of
1: shotgun. Uh, yeah,
0: but apparently there is one actually early in the game and i just need to look for it a little harder but, well i'm looking for that shotgun rob i think we should we should uh talk about our weekend correspondence i think we should read some letters some physical letters that have come sounds in.
1: like a plan
0: yeah all right so this first one comes from dominic in melbourne australia dominic writes hey r d you sure brought back memories flying back mentioning the tex murphy games on last week's episode I was a huge fan of these games as a teenager, so much so that when the uh, newer sequel came to Kickstarter, my 30 year old self had no problem spending more money on a game than I've ever spent. What I wanted to talk about are a couple of points that Rob touched on. There was indeed something great about seeing the same characters over two, now three games played by the same actors. When I, played the, when I first played the Pandora Directive, the familiarity I had with the locals in the game was exactly like catching up with old friends. Why is that though? What did Under a Killing Mood uh, do that made them so endearing? I think it had a lot to do with another point that Rob mentioned, the small open world hub of Chandler Avenue. Both games start by limiting the player to a single street uh, with those familiar characters to visit, and you're also required to solve crimes on the same street interviewing those locals. Oddly, this small open world feels like a, in a live space, despite the fact that the majority of time you wander it, you're alone. Which brings, uh, brings me back to a more recent game and another one that was discussed last week Mass Effect Andromeda. Thinking about the Tex Murphy games solidified why I struggled to even remotely get into Mass Effect Andromeda despite being a big fan of the original trilogy. When you think about the opening of the original Mass Effect, after the initial tutorial-like mission, you're forced into a limited, open world situation on the Citadel, which is a vibrant and alive space. It's a similar technique that Bioware previously used in KOTOR. Andromeda, on the other hand, has a tutorial mission in a large, bland, open-world space that moves to a lifeless, limited, open-world-like Citadel Light, rather, without any of the life or character that made the Citadel so engaging. Everybody just works there. I never got the impression that people lived there. I mean, come on, this Citadel Light, sorry, I forgot what it's called, doesn't even have a bar (laughs) when you initially visit it. I guess my point at the end of this is that I feel like this rush to create a vast open world is actually limiting the amount of world character uh, that can be put into a game. I crave that small open world space that I can wander without knowing that there's an enemy around the corner ready to shoot me at any point. Sorry if this one was a bit long. Thanks, Dominic. Oh, it's so telling that you don't remember the name <laughs> of Citadel Light.
1: <laughs> what, what is the name of Citadel Light? Oh,
0: I have... Oh. God!
1: Wow! I
0: don't remember either.
1: Wow! Oh, poor Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm sorry,
0: Andromeda. The game I know, no
1: one gave a shit about. I'm
0: sorry. I know a lot of people worked hard, but yeah, I don't remember the they name. They couldn't of even get thing. you in
1: there. Like you couldn't even. You weren't even drawn by like lesbian space romance. You were just. Well, that's like, the nah. thing.
0: There's barely any in that game, and it's like kind of well, my you know. Patricia Hernandez of Kotaku fame, a really rad lady that you should read her stuff, went, she kind of dug into like the, like what the romance options were like and how poorly animated. Like, it seems like the, the like super hetero main, main romance is the only one that actually had like dedicated animation that looked good and they just sort of recycled stuff and like apparently the, the like, one of the lesbian love scenes is incredibly hilariously unrealistic in certain ways, and yeah, that sounds fun, but whew, I don't know, man.
1: That's that's, that's brutal.
0: Yeah. Do you,
1: how much, Like, so there's a lot of things going on yeah, in *Mass Effect Andromeda*, obviously, but like, what do you think of the central thesis here that um, things are being made into open worlds that were best left like? The hub and spoke.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it, it seems to be the, the sort of fashion of the day to make things open world, and some things are great open world. I mean, I was just gushing about an open world weirdo game, you know, Brutal Legend, uh, but not everything works that way. I know a lot of folks... Um, felt that there was a pretty big disconnect in Mafia 3 between, like, the open world, which I loved, by the way, and and probably liked it more than than most, but uh, how good the sort of narrative missions were versus, like, eh, feeling a little eh about a lot of the side quests and open world structure of that game. Now, I wouldn't give up the open world in that game for anything, but it would have been cool, yes, to have, like, maybe a more concentrated story mode in in it or something like that. And frankly... I I get fatigued about too many open worlds as well. And we've talked about this on the podcast, but like telling me you have a million things for me to do just makes me want to take a nap at this point in life. Like, or or just do something else or play something where it's like, okay, the concentrated awesome is here in front of you. And, uh, you know, you can do extra stuff and that's totally fine and cool. And I enjoy having the option to do extra stuff. Sometimes I feel like doing extra stuff, but... A game that really marks for you, like, alright, here's the good shit. And yes, I know, take a drink or ten, but Witcher 3 does that
1: really, really well.
0: It just does. It does. It does it well.
1: Well, I think it's, it's the exact, like, that's definitely, like, one of your main examples of, like, an open world done right. And honestly, like, I am not sure. Breath of the Wild, maybe? Oh. Oh, it's is your other like Hell like a different yes. sort of game, but it uses an open world a good effect?
0: An amazing effect, yes, and in a completely different approach. Completely, completely different, but yes, amazing. Yeah, it
1: just it feels like there's a lot of games that maybe are not necessary. Like I think with the open with the open world, um, if it is not actively adding something. To the feel of the game. Yeah. Then it's actually detracting. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the open world is not a neutral thing. Like either it's really like in there bringing a key element uh, of enjoyment to the experience. Or it's just a giant inconvenient wasteland (laughs) that you have to navigate to get to the next thing you want to do. Yeah. And I think like. So. Assassin's Creed, I think, is definitely like a key perpetrator for starting this. Yeah. But the difference with Assassin's Creed was the locations were part of the attraction. Yeah. Why 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 were you running around Florence uh, you know, for you know, for hours and hours uh you know, to, to do these pretty simple, like, you know, unimpressive little missions. It's because you were running around in Renaissance Florence. Yeah. That was the point. Exactly.
0: exactly.
1: But like your fictional, boring-ass, like, space colony? That might not be good. <laughs> that might not be an exciting place to be.
0: The, what the original Mass Effect games did really well, at least the first two, was, again, evoked a place without having it be massive. And it had characters I actually really cared about all the time, you know, from, from the jump, basically. Like... What was the name of the the planet where everybody was kind of on like weird plant juice and uh, it was like a colony? I I don't remember the name of the planet. It was just really weird and really evocative, and it probably was like the space of like two buildings. Wait, <laughs> it was a really small colony in the very very first Mass Effect. In like, okay. there's a plant lady, and she is like poisoning all these colonists and brainwashing them to say like, oh, you have to love living here. It's so great. It was it was. Yep, you know what, I have no idea what the name of the damn thing was. But I remember, I remember looking at it, I remember talking to these people, I remember the crazed look in their eyes, I remember them kind of being like, something's not right, but you're gonna have to figure it out, man, I don't know what it is. And it was like this mystery, and it was a tiny space that effectively conveyed, there's a colony here, and it's small, and it's on a vast planet, and they're in trouble, man. Like, it it did that without, you know, needing much, basically. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I totally agree uh, with with our, our dear reader here that like sometimes when uh, the occasion calls for it, doing more with less in in that way is is absolutely the more effective way of telling a story or or presenting a world or and presenting an interesting place to be in.
1: Well, I think something else that these small spaces can do is they let, they can let you write things that are really specific. Yeah. Uh, that like you know the player is going to over here. So like. In your typical open world game, the Assassin's Creed games are guilty as hell of this, but you you see it in a lot of places. You'll be able, able to overhear conversations. Uh, and God, Mafia did this too, and it was even worse. <laughs> Mafia. Yeah. Uh, you'll you'll overhear conversations, but they're conversations about nothing because nobody ever expected you to be standing there listening for the like to this particular snatch of dialogue. So it's just going to be like banal conversation that that you're going to hear. It's an entire world full of people who don't really have anything meaningful to say that's like specific to the world or you or, uh, or the place. Yeah. Kirk Hamilton wrote a little bit too about how eerie it gets when these conversations try to um, be relevant to you specifically in the player, right? In, in his like amazing uh, L.A. Noir review from yes. years and years ago, where the entire world is acutely aware that you are Cole, uh, Cole Phelps. And everywhere you go, people are like, that's the disgraced detective, Cole Phelps. And it's this like creepy, like pod people experience uh that just makes this like lovingly and accurately recreated 1940s Los Angeles yes. into basically the Twilight Zone. <laughs> totally. And what you've got in a game like Under a Killing Moon or uh or like the original Mass Effect is you'll go to a place and You'll hear things that are specific to a character or that location that sort of do the same thing as that, like, crude art that you find in, like, System Shock, right? Yeah. Where it's, like, it invites your imagination to fill in something behind that. So, you know, if you go down to, what was it, the, the wards yeah. in uh in, in the Citadel, that place didn't look slummy at all. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's it's down in the wards. It was, like... No, it was a sci-fi broom closet. Pretty like that, much. <laughs> what, does, what does poverty look like in, in the far future? Uh, probably a lot of, like, discarded electronic gadgets and clean floors. <laughs> Good. <laughs> sounds sounds yeah. perfect. Uh, but, you'll, but you'll hear people, like, having conversations that will only, like, fire once, right? And it'll only happen in that place and that gives you a sense of like what's going on there in under killing moon you go you walk down chandler avenue and the characters that you talk to even though they never interact they're all frozen in place like the diner guy is always gonna be in the diner the pawn shop guy is always gonna be (laughs) in the pawn shop they make references to their relationships and the history of the neighborhood then you fill in you know what i mean like you invent the life of that street even though the game doesn't show you any of it, Absolutely. and that's way better than a bunch of drone-like character models just kind of like you know milling around.
0: Yeah, and there's and there's here's a half-formed thought. So bear with me here. There's got to be something about uh, the way our brains work with familiarity and and how that just impacts us so much more than say there's. Even, even given, hey, the same exact quality of the models and the art or whatever. Is it, I imagine it would be more interesting and it would impact me more if there were 10 character models in a smaller space and I and I actually spend time with them and I actually hear what they're talking about than if there were 10,000 in a much bigger space and I'm never going to look or see 99% of them. Like there's something about that specificity that I think sticks in our brains a little bit more and and just makes things a little more memorable and and better and hey not always better maybe there are games and there are experiences that you want to feel anonymous and you want to feel that sort of crushing weight of the world you know that that makes sense too but it's a very deliberate uh design choice and it should always be a very deliberate design choice
1: yeah absolutely not a default yeah yeah um Our next email comes from our old friend John Rennish. All right. Hello, RZ and DR. (laughs) Recently, I've been enjoying Persona 5 with my partner, who commented on a peculiar difference in my behavior compared to the multiple of other games that we share. You see, when playing Persona games, I play with a walkthrough. Hmm. Yeah. When queried about my choice to do so for this specific game, it spurred some self-reflection. Ultimately leading to a combination of analysis paralysis and fear of missing out. Persona games are very tightly scheduled and have complex characters that if I don't resolve all their issues, I'll feel like I failed the characters on some level. Are there any games, series, genres that you play differently than others? Uh, What reasons cause these deviations? Well,
0: First of all, just here... Uh, so Patricia is like 110. No, whatever, she's like more than 90 hours into Persona 5, and I've watched a massive chunk of it. And that game gives me analysis paralysis just watching her play it. So, I've I sympathize first of all with, with John here. Um, yeah, I I uh I have a weird I get weird like performance anxiety about certain types of games. Uh, and especially if like you, you, you stream a lot and that's a, a part of your game playing experience that definitely starts to impact things. So um, any, any genre that I am, you know, I think of myself as being at, at least somewhat competent at, I get like serious performance anxiety. Like, oh shit, I'm going to be playing a platformer in front of people and they'll be able to see whether my Donkey Kong country skills are really up to par. Because you know, I know that nobody on Earth actually gives a fuck, but I do. So it it sort of There's a impacts point of pride. That. Yeah, it, it you're, it, you're the
1: Danky Kang. I'm the like, Danky
0: Kang, exactly. Danky Kang Riendo. That's my name. Changed it legally. No, I, I didn't. But you know, uh, so yeah. that's part of it. I also get like performance anxiety around, and this is a weirdly specific thing that is maybe not like a genre or anything. But I used to get like serious anxiety going to E3 and having to play like. You know, the type of game I didn't play a ton of. Not that I, like, never play first-person shooters. I certainly do. But um, if I was going to be playing in front of, like, especially a bunch of, like, male journalists, and I and I had to be like, okay, uh, I'm the only girl here, especially, like, a few years ago, before there were a ton of women writing about games full-time. Uh, I would get seriously like, oh, Christ. Like, um, I'm going to... I don't want to wanna fuck up.
1: Down.
0: Well, I just don't want to be, again, and and this is, like... This is saying something much more important about, like, oh, just how you feel sometimes as a woman in, like, very male-dominated spaces, but, like, which I normally am, am very comfortable in and, and fine with, but with something like this, where it's like, oh, if I don't make, if I don't look good doing this, that's gonna give the sexist asshole who's thinking it in the back of his head, like, yeah, women can't do this, or women suck at this, like, which I know it's it's gonna be, maybe I don't know this, but but I suspect is gonna be somebody in the crowd, especially... Uh, In in certain circumstances. So like, I used to get really kind of nervous and like, fuck, man, like, I can't, can't, I can't let all women on Earth down right now in front of these fucking randos. Like, can't let that happen. (laughs) Which is a very weird thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, those uh those event play sessions are never particularly comfortable but i can only imagine like particularly back in the day right like you you are you're kind of an og at this like i think these days the gender (laughs) balance is it's a little better better now
0: yeah for sure and now there's a lot of women actually demoing games a ton of women are demoing games for big publishers so it, it doesn't feel nearly as like heavy as it did like almost 10 years ago yeah
1: Right, yeah. Like ten, 10 years ago, I imagine it was a pretty, like, brotastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, a lot of assumed assumptions about, like, who the default perspective and player is. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot um, of
0: comments about, like, oh, you know, women like our games. And I'd just be like, thanks, buddy.
1: Oh, wow. oh, <laughs> Like, good. a
0: whole lot of that. Like, <laughs> oh, you know what? I found that women like this because, you know, it's not as, like, you know, Twitch.
1: before twitch meant the platform
0: like twitch like movement and i'd be like Mm -hmm. look i'm not i'm not fucking pro-ass player here but that's that's still a little insulting to my gender dude like you know like all right (laughs) anyway sorry
1: (laughs) and also like please like i'll be the judge of whether this woman likes it as opposed to this generalized like (laughs) oh my female friends all agree yeah
0: exactly like i know i'm the representative of my entire gender right now here but uh well yeah but okay all
1: my female friends my creative it's like me telling my creative writing class like (laughs) oh all my female friends like love the female characters i write they say i'm really good at it (laughs) like okay sure yeah i I hear you i hear your criticisms but i just have to tell you like
0: but do you know what real women think because that's that's what my friends think
1: yeah exactly yeah uh so analysis paralysis. Um yeah, persona's a little evil on that front because like oh. it's got a freaking day calendar, Danielle.
0: Yeah, I know. Oh it's like you're playing you that's gotta, right, like, you're playing four right now.
1: Yeah, you've got a job and you've got like clubs that you're a part of, and you get better for investing yourself in all these things that improve you and improve your relationships, but at the same time you get these big existential things you gotta deal with. Oh. And I'm like, you know what this sounds a lot like? Life.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's too much.
1: <laughs> it's, like, it's like you know, it's the same way, like, oh man, like you really need to be getting in the gym more often. And like, shouldn't you be cooking like you need to like get back in the kitchen and like cook more food again? That was good. Oh, you need to work on your relationships too. Like there's all those friends you don't see as much anymore. Like, ah, oh, like what are you doing with your life, Zach? That is Persona. That is Persona. <laughs> Except god. like all the all those things you wish you had time to do, like they will actually make you better at like Persona. And then the dark irony, of course, is that Persona is a hundred fifty hour game. Oh, god, <laughs> so know. it's like, oh
0: god! In the
1: time in the time you play Persona, you could have had so many other experiences. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely a um <laughs> that's definitely one one game uh the the trigger stuff like that um a lot of rpgs i just have this problem like party-based rpgs or like squad tactics games where like troops can die that's just tough man it is it is a hard thing for me to just like have that happen i wrote a little bit about it on on waypoint this week like i was playing um dawn of war 3 and that game is all about just like cutting our losses and sacrificing soldiers in droves and that's just not like me yeah and it's a bit of a problem because some games like specifically are about like making those calculations and knowing who to sacrifice and there i am being like leave no man behind (laughs) (laughs) we're going back yeah,
0: yeah I, I can't fault you for that because you know I would be like, no, because he's just got a broken arm, I can fix that like no, no, just give me a second, let me just splint it. We're gonna be all right. he's gonna be fine. he's gonna be good to go, all right like i I get that. holy shit, I get that and games are should we go ahead hard. to projects <laughs> games are games are hard. all right we've got one more letter here from Warren, and Warren asks, hey r and d I was listening to your most recent episode involving media with deeply problematic elements, and I wanted to share my experience. By far, my favorite movie of all time from the moment I saw it is Cloud Atlas. As far as I'm concerned, it's the most deeply satisfying and enjoyable movie I've ever seen on almost every level. Almost. Because for some unfathomable reason, the Wachowskis decided to use makeup and prosthetics to make white actors, quote, look Asian. Unquote for the future soul segments and they don't even remotely succeed at that dubious goal I know the only reason I can compartmentalize and look past this is because I'm white But my partner is Taiwanese. I've never dared suggest we watch it together and I know I never will Because I could never expect a socially conscious Asian person uh, like them to watch the movie and feel anything but rage So regardless of how much I love the movie I hate the Wachowskis for making a movie that I love so much but could never ever watch with my partner how do you two navigate situations where you're really into something but you know your partner isn't or wouldn't be? Cheers and love the podcast, Warren
1: Well, I don't watch it with them, yeah, but like if, like <laughs> if my partner's not into something, like it's just not happening, yeah. like there was a point early in the relationship where I would definitely try to do that. No, I love this thing, but we must love it together or we <laughs> don't love each other yeah. You know, after a certain point, like, A, you accept different people. Yeah. And B, do you really want to possibly piss off your partner? At the very least, use up some relationship currency (laughs) to make someone endure a piece of entertainment they don't want to.
0: Yeah. You. No. Yeah. I feel like first, do no harm is like a (laughs) really good uh you know kind of thing uh as a general principle you know okay obviously there's different kinds of things that could bring on harm and things are very complicated in relationships but like as a general principle first do no harm uh is real important if somebody's gonna be triggered by something or or upset by something or you know like it's just it's fucking racist or homophobic or, or whatever it is don't don't subject them to it. Like you you can definitely have a conversation with a person and say, I like this thing. And I I recognize that it's got some issues. If you're ever interested in watching it with me, fine. If not, totally understand, never bring it up again. <laughs> like <laughs> I, it's, it's also, there's also this uh, aspect to it, where it's like, if, if you and your partner have uh, some kind of significantly different life experience. Um, and and preemptively are nervous about certain types of content. Like this is something my partner has been uh, has written about this and you know has been public about it, but is a survivor uh, of, of sexual abuse. And like I get fucking nervous if we're watching something and it's like, oh, there there's a rape scene in this, and it's like, okay, like I I'm I'm okay, I can watch this, I know, but like how you know how are you feeling about it and that's always of course a conversation you can have but like i i understand this sentiment is it
1: that like that this is the other thing is like sometimes it feels like just bring you know what i mean like yeah. is 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 the, is ever asking how do you feel about the thing Shitty and triggering the thing in a itself? bigger yeah exactly yeah. like is it somehow making it an even bigger issue sort of implying that like Oh, like, I don't expect that you're going to be able to handle this. Like, I don't know. It's just that also feels like, hey, it's a minefield. I don't know which direction to run.
0: It is a fucking minefield. But like, this is one of those things where you're going to have to read into things. You're going to have to read into body language and you're going to have to be sensitive. And like, again, the first do no harm (laughs) principle, like something shitty, shut it down. You know, like fucking shut it down. Nope. I'm not going to watch this fucking movie. It's not worth you feeling bad about it. And if it's not going to be a conversation, that's fine, too. Like, I would say take the person's lead on it. Like, just take their lead on it and, and let it be what it needs to be for them, especially if you're the person who has uh, less to lose over it. And that, that's always going to be a difficult calculation, too, right? Like, oh, do I have less to lo- Do you have more to lose? Do you have more of, uh, you know, like, are the stakes higher for you, basically, right? Like, or, like, the only thing you're going to lose is, I don't get to watch this movie. But if somebody is going to be, like...
1: With your partner. You right, don't get to watch... Exactly. With like them. You can with, still, you can still shamefully watch that. With them. Late at night. Right, exactly. You I know,
0: watched, when she's on a, <laughs> on a Michael business Mann's, trip. I watched Michael Mann's... I watched Michael Mann's
1: Miami Vice at four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Like, one go. day. Because, like, I knew that wasn't going to fly. <laughs> like, my girlfriend isn't going to be like, yeah, I want to watch Crockett and Tubbs bang their way through South Beach. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Yup. It's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Like, if that's all you have to lose, then be be sensitive to it. But like, I I understand what this person is saying at least, and on that level of like, you know, there, there's a there's a gulf of experience here at the, to be sensitive to, and like, it just means be sensitive to it. it doesn't mean be like crazy about it or be like well everything needs to be a conversation how do you How do you feel look at how woke I am because I'm asking you how you feel um, that's not at all that can also
1: backfire what I'm trying to imply yeah that's what I'm saying yeah. like that's
0: not at all what I'm implying here all I'm saying yeah. is like be aware for yourself <laughs> and it sounds like this person is aware for themselves and that's, yeah. that's good and that's a good thing to be but yeah it doesn't ha- it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole big fucking thing take their lead at least that's my all that's my take <laughs> Yeah.
1: All that said, this is one of your favorite movies. Means yeah. a whole lot to you. And by the way, I'm actually like, I've had a couple people tell me that like Cloud Atlas is like a secret masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I've never so seen it
0: actually, and I like I, the. Wachowskis. Neither, you're right. It
1: really, really freaking weird. Yeah. Um, I liked, I've liked two of, I liked two of the Matrix movies. Uh, <laughs> sure. I don't know if that's that's the extent of my relationship with the Wachowskis. But this movie means a lot to you you really want to share that with your partner you can start that conversation you might be surprised at how chill and accustomed and desensitized an asian person is at massive racial insensitivity in <laughs> sure. hollywood films sure it might turn out to be like a oh yeah gee shocker like the movie's, this person the has movie's seen it 10 racist. times and is like yeah whatever yeah.
0: like it's i hate it but whatever like, i don't know yeah exactly God. I remember yeah. uh, weirdly, and this is like super just only relevant to this incredibly specific thing, but my ex is a Taiwanese American woman and uh, we played L.A. Noir together and we're so it was her favorite game of all time. She loved everything about that game. We bought three copies of that game because it one of the discs got scratched in my cross country move for me to go out and, and live with her for a few years. That's how much we loved that game. It was like, you know, we got to buy it again. We got to buy the special edition, whatever, and and played every minute of it. And then I remember the proposed sequel to it. uh, This is going to be a slur, so here we go. Um, The name of that other project was Horror of the Orient. And I remember like trying to explain to her the name of this. I was like, oh, you know, the team is going to be working on this other game. Mm." And then like that light went off and my brain like, fuck and I was like I'll, I'm gonna write it down I think is what I ended up doing because I was like I just I can't you know it's not a nice name so here you know it was one of those kind of things so like yeah some sometimes media is some shit you know it's
1: you know and that I think that title might have bothered me less if I trusted the perspective It was like, like it was if that title was being used like being aware that like that is like, expressing the sort of like really Western colonial like yeah. callous arrogant mindset of like that period. Yeah, I could kind of like if you're still playing with fire, but I could kind of get there. But it was team it was team Bondi, and I had not exactly been blown away. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: by like their the sensitivity the in L.A. North. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Yup. God, LA Noir has a movie where you literally, you literally find the movie the guys made about their conspiracy.
0: Yeah. God, I and I love half of that game. I truly love half of that game. And half of it is, is oh boy. Oh I, boy.
1: <laughs> you know Yeah, I it's 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 such a mess. Like I, I do enjoy I actually like the guy you play at the end. The, yeah, uh, the, he's like the private eye.
0: I do I too. The, the, uh, it,
1: the other guy, yeah. who was in the army with him. Yeah, that was good.
0: There's so many good. The, the highs are very high in that game. I genuinely think so. Like there are things about that game, that, and the the incredible world of that game is is oh god! And the fact that you could there was a mode where you could just drive around. I loved that. I love that stuff. You know, um, it just. God, and the mission about the boxer who threw the game, and it was literally the reverse. Like, it, they, they got something so hilariously crucial to what throwing a game means, or throwing a match, throwing a boxing match means. Like, it was like betting the other way. Whatever it was, it was like the wrong way. It's not the way oh, it no. actually works if you throw a sporting... And that made it into the final game. I don't know how. God. Ugh. Oh. Anyway, L.A. noir. Uh... This sure was uh, a fucking video game. Speaking of fucking video games and or other forms of entertainment, Rob, do you have a weekend project that you're working on? Danielle. Yeah? Good news. Yeah?
1: My girlfriend and I finished Jessica Jones. (gasps) On my on my trip back to Boston. Yes. I was put on hold because I moved to Los Angeles. And then the other <laughs> issue was that like literally after we'd watch an episode, we needed like weeks to recover. Sure. Um
0: Fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it was a it can be a brutal show. But yeah, <laughs> finished Jessica Jones. Don't have a whole lot to say except uh mmm, that's a good show. Oh. That is a damn good show. And uh I particularly so it maybe is a little overlong.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of episodes. But at the same time, like... As, like, feminist psycho horror, it mm-hmm. is so fucking good. Oh, yes. Um, and and like, with that
0: good noir private eye stuff just dripping on top a little bit there. Oh,
1: the jazz score. Oh yeah it is mm-hmm. and, and it feels like it It feels weird and off kilter in a way that like a lot of other netflix shows don't yeah like there is like jessica jones and habits sort of like weird new york in a lot of <laughs> yeah. ways uh even even by superhero standards like it's just an off balance world yeah. but uh the thing that the, the, you, know, you know who ended up being just one of my favorite aspects of that show, though, Oh? was um her best friend.
0: Oh, totally.
1: Uh oh god, what was what was the character she played as a kid? Um, um
0: totally uh, forgot. Hold on, fuck,
1: um, because it, it leads up to this great great reveal at the end. Where David Tennant realizes it's a case of mistaken identity and he he's he's like, oh no, it's just it's just like Sandy or something like that. Uh she's basically the Nickelodeon character. Yeah. Uh but such a good character and also Okay, so yeah, this is Patsy? the thing I want to single. Out. It was Patsy. Patsy. That's yes! right. Oh, it's Patsy. Patsy.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and then when the army dude is like trying to get paid, the the uh, shitty Captain America with the yeah, royal yeah, yeah. Um when his buddies are trying to basically haul him in, <laughs> and they're like, "Look, we don't we don't want to hurt Patsy." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. It's really, but good. the thing that I really liked is yeah. one that was a very cool way of capturing another form of like abusive relationship. Yeah. Uh, where like David Tennant represents sort of your like manipulative uh, like abuser, yeah. and this dude is more like your out of control rage issues turns into a different person, exactly. Um, and having her having to having struggling to come to grips with that right like she even to the end doesn't really believe he's a bad guy, and Jessica Jones is kind of like uh, <laughs> fuck yeah. him he's he's trash
0: yeah fuck that dude but yeah.
1: But the other thing I really liked is that there's this trope in a lot of shows, the person from the difficult family background, right? Like, they have issues with their parents. And in 90% of these shows, uh, and Burn Notice is one of your all-time worst offenders here, but like 90% of these shows, it turns out that, oh no, your mom or dad or your sibling really did love you. You misinterpreted something from the past, like they cared about you all along, and family is family, and you always got to be there for each other. And Jessica Jones fakes running in that direction. Yeah. Um, with, with, uh, with, with the, Pat no, I can I can't remember Patsy. Uh, <laughs> it fakes running in that direction with her friend. Yeah. And then the state, her mom, the, the stage mom, the, oh, <laughs> sort of the, uh, the mommy dearest uh, type character, is revealed to just be an absolute garbage, yeah. manipulative piece of shit. Yeah. And that really made me happy. Yeah. Because, like, I've got a number of friends who, like, come from, like, truly, like, broken families. Yeah. Uh, where there's, like, truly, like, there's people who are bad news on their side of the family tree. And so much of media goes for this, like, bullshit, heartwarming fantasy. That, like, oh, no, they're good and they'll always be there for you in the end. Which is, like, exactly why this stuff is so toxic and horrible yes. and, like, painful for people. Because, like, on some level, a lot of times it's easy to believe. You, you trick yourself into thinking that that's, that's how it is and that this will, like, turn around and be redeemed somehow. And I love that in Jessica Jones, it's, this person is awful. And every time you give them a chance, they will turn it against you because that is who they are. And you need to accept that. And I actually really loved that plot beat.
0: Hell yeah. And also the the sort of also strongly implied like, yeah, your chosen family is better than your birth family sometimes. And yeah. in terms of, you know, Jessica's ride or die for her. Like she, she will be there for her and she will be there for Jessica. And it's like, yeah, they're not like birth family or whatever, but they've decided to be good to each other and be there for each other. And that's more important sometimes. And that's like a really great kind of point. Like, I dig that. Oh. Well, Rob, after, after this week, I, uh, I'm going to have a game, actually. And it's going to be the chillest game that you can possibly relax to. Take, take a load off. You know, the world's on fire. It's been mm. on fire for forever, really. But, you know, it's been especially on fire the last few months. And, uh, you yeah, especially this week. Uh, a lot of bad things going on in the world. So I'm going to recommend to you and, and for the world and anybody who's interested.
1: Send my brain on vacation. Yeah. I a need really
0: it. nice game called Nog. G N O G. This is a co op mode game published by Double Fine. And it is, I described it, I wrote a little piece about it. I described it as a sort of adult busy book, <laughs> but with puzzles. Remember those cool busy books? And maybe you had one when you were very, 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 very oh, small, Rob. Absolutely. Yes. They're really great. They were either like cardboard or like cloth. You got to kind of touch things and play with things. And the whole point is just to interact with things and it's fun and it's colorful and joyful. And that's sort of what Nog is, only it's also with puzzles. Like there's a point to all the stuff you're touching and and twirling. Uh, It's a PlayStation VR game as well as just PlayStation. And I I know it's coming to iOS and Steam soon, but that's a, oh, it's coming soon. But it just came out uh, this week, uh, Tuesday at midnight, I think. Uh, and it is, oh my god, it's beautiful. So the premise, such as it is, is there are these sort of like lunchbox-like things that are all kind of they're cool, nice, friendly monster heads that have dioramas in them. And you have to puzzle out what you need to interact with to make this diorama sing into a dance number. And that's, that's it. <laughs> it's just this really, really funky, nice-looking, beautiful... Uh, just the music is amazing thing that you interact with and you do these just very light little puzzles like, okay, I can interact with this, I can interact with this. Logically, this would go here. Okay, there's like a little code here. I can sort of break the little code. Uh, so it's engaging your brain more than just touching pretty things, which you you I, you know, as an adult, maybe you need a little chemical help to get to that point. Uh, but you don't need that to enjoy this because there's there's some some logic puzzles there too. Uh, there's one level in this game, I will just say, that is basically a synthesizer. And it's inside this little synthesizer head, and there's a little DJ dude in it. And Austin and I actually played this <laughs> this week uh, on on a stream at Waypoint. And uh, just, just like figuring out what makes what kind of music and, and what the little codes are and, and what you need to plug into where is, is just a very simple, very beautiful joy. And I think that uh, sometimes it's really nice to just play a game that is purely about uh, that sort of thing like purely about an aesthetic experience that is just fun and pleasant and and playful and relaxing so nog is my my pick for this weekend At, while i finish pray <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think uh, i think that's about it uh and with that Time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network.
1: You can learn more about Idle Weekend at IdleWeekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at IdleWeekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at idleweekend.
0: And we really do appreciate you lending an ear to us. During this uh, wonderful time, and we appreciate it so so much. If you would take a second and, and go and like rate us on iTunes, we'd also really appreciate it. If you would tell your friends, if you would tell your your wayward superhero siblings, if you would tell you know anybody that you thought might enjoy Idle Weekend about us, it means the universe to us. Word of mouth is pretty much how we share this uh, this show with you all and and how it gets around. So if you could do that, we sure would enjoy that. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends.